Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar. Presented by Burnham Law. Hire the winner at BurnhamLaw.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Very happy Friday to you. Hopefully you have a fun weekend and safe weekend plan. Uh, we have an opportunity to speak with our own Eric Goodman. You can hear him every morning right here on Mile High Sports Radio. He is, uh, as we like to say, on location in the, uh, Colorado's beautiful summer. And uh, Colin, and thanks for joining us, Eric. Really uh, appreciate it. I am on assignment right now on 285. And we're driving uh, to a friend's cabin where we're going fly fishing this weekend and i'm cooking tonight so hopefully we have you throughout the drive my phone is working. i'm not getting but my wife's phone does clearly the right plan. well we will find out a little bit wobbly but we're going to give it a try my first questions would be what are you making and two is there an extra room i mean i got off at four Oh, see, now he, now he checks out. Oh, of course, no, now I get how it works. Well, we'll make an effort to try to catch Eric Goodman when, when, we, when we can. But uh, it, we'll, uh, we'll, if we don't get a chance, we'll make sure we uh, check base with him early next week. But the, uh, the, the situation there where we were talking about a little bit, Sandy, with, with the Broncos and uh, the, the, the notion in training camp that the spin, over the last couple of years, right? Coming out of Dove Valley. And, and some of it, and this is where I guess I would ask where we get confused. How much of that from the Broncos was spin? And how much of it from the Broncos was, for lack of a better term, sort of a, either a, an honest misjudgment or a bit of an ability to disillusion oneself based on the reality of your team. Because it seems to me at many of the last few years, in which the Broncos finished without the playoffs, they truly believed and seemed truly surprised that the team wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be. And this is the kind of thing that you see with the Rockies all the time, who never look outside their own building for help, Navel-gazing, right, as it were. Yes, who, who just assume that everybody who's in the building has all the answers. And, and in that scenario, it, it feels that the Broncos had been above that for the most part. And then in the last few years, uh, they've run into the same situation, even though they have gone outside the organization for coaches and things like that. Uh, and new, new GM, mm-hmm. uh, George Payton. But the similar result happens. And that makes me wonder, so how much of that is sort of self-delusion, which is what we see down at 20th and Blake, yes. or how much of this is an honest disconnect and, and the ability and, and a continuation of being able to misread your own team, perhaps happening in Dove Valley, and which one's worse? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I mean, Good I, question. I can understand how self-delusion happens, but at the yeah. same time, if you're continually misreading your own talent, yeah, that's a problem, too. I think the old phrase, if I get this right now, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially I would say over the last four years, since the appointment of Vic Fangio in 2019. The Broncos have been trying to fool all the people all the time. I don't know how Vic Fangio, at his introductory press conference, came away with the impression 
that the Broncos were big thinkers who got things right almost all the time. They were by that time four years removed from their Super Bowl win. I can see in 2017 why Vance Joseph came here believing, hey, even in 2016, they were 4-0 and 7-3. and Yes, they missed the playoffs, but they finished with a winning record. And they're only one year removed from a Super Bowl. But even Vance Joseph, right away, not always someone to realistically assess the situation, suggested privately, though it became public later on, that his quarterbacks, Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch in particular, were not championship ready. He was less delusional than the people above him about that. By 2019, though, Vic Fangio comes here and endorses the organization Mm -hmm. overall much more strongly than Vance Joseph had done two years earlier. And that's when people began to wonder exactly what was going on. That was the year that the Broncos played a Thursday night game first half of the season against the Kansas City Chiefs here in Denver. Joe Buck and Troy Aitman then working for Fox doing the Thursday night game. Apparently, during the week, with little time to prepare, had spent a lot of time with John Elway and perhaps, perhaps Vic Fangio. Selling them on the notion that, hey, with Joe Flacco, yeah, we got off to a slow start, but now we're hitting our stride and we're ready for the Chiefs, and this is going to be a hell of a game tonight. You you, you watch. You'll be impressed. And Buck and Aikman reflect that. Right. Until the game actually that, starts. That was, that was, and by I'm the third that quarter, that was one of the they more, are laughing at the Broncos. It was one of the most and, unique things I'd ever seen. And Aikman said, and Troy Aikman is not, Chris Collinsworth, uh, not not terribly opinionated with his analysis. And he said, this is the worst offense I've ever seen in my life. In other words, I was sold a bill of goods. Exactly. And I realize I've been had, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to let everybody know that I was sold a bill of goods by being as unkind as you could possibly be because he did not say the worst NFL offense I've ever seen. He said worst offense I've ever seen in my life on any level. He didn't qualify. He didn't say worst NFL offense. He said the worst offense. And you know what? They looked that way that night. I never seen a more incompetent offense. And then in the fourth quarter, they spent most of the time laughing because Flacco yeah. was still in the game. Yeah, they just laughed at it. And, and, and they were openly laughing at the Broncos. And that's when, however remaining fans there were that were still on the quote-unquote bandwagon, mm-hmm. they, were, they were all gone. And that was 2019. And later in the season, remember, in December, Drew Locke started. And... People knew well in advance that Drew Locke was going to send, not weeks in advance, but days in advance that Drew Locke was going to be the starting quarterback. And this is early December. This isn't Christmas time. This is early December. Mm -hmm. Closer to Thanksgiving than Christmas, right? Mm -hmm. 
they had more no-shows than they have had for, I believe, any game at least in the last 50 years. Last year, when the Broncos played on Monday Night Football against the Chargers, they lost on the road 19-16. to Remember, that was on Monday night as well. And Troy Aikman was on that call, of course. Here's what he said that night. This is last fall. Quote, talking about the offense. It's not been very good. But why is that? It's because everyone across the board, it's not just Russell Wilson. It's the protection up front. It's their inability to consistently be able to run the football. It's their inability to consistently be able to beat defenders with routes. So you combine all of that and you get an offense that is not scoring very many points and is not playing very good football. They've got too good of players for that to be consistently this poor. At least I think they do. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't is the key phrase at the end. Maybe they don't. But did because the, but did the, 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 did the same Broncos guy that? Because here's who my, had said, what, three here's, years here's earlier? Let me, let, me, let, me jump in this. let me jump in on this because I get, I get what Aikman's saying, and he's right. But here's my question. When we look at this Denver Broncos roster right now, projected starters for this roster right now, this Denver Broncos team, let me go along the, the offense right off the bat here. Russell Wilson, Devontae Williams, assuming health, right? Wide receivers, Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy. Offensive line, Garrett Bowles, Ben Powers, Lloyd Cushenberry, Quinn Miners, Mike McGlinchey. Tight end, Greg Dulcich. Ten of those 12 starters are the same guys that were projected at this time last year. Ten of the 12. On defense, it's a fewer because you, you, you've moved on from some guys. But DJ Jones was here. Matt Hennington at the moment might, you know, need to start. He was here. Josie Jewell's on the pup, but he was, I mean, Baron Browning's on the pup, but he was here. Josie Jewell was here. Singleton was here. Gregory was here in the backfield, which is the best part of the team. But Kareem Jackson, Justin Simmons, Pat Sertan, Damari Mathis, K1 Williams, who's changed? You changed out the kicker and the putter. But, I mean, you're talking about a team that with 11 starters on offense, 11 starters on defense, and I guess, let's count the let's count the long snapper because Mitchell Fraboni is new to the team. So let's let's even do that. Twenty five starters, Sandy. Two on offense are new from where we were this time last year. You have two on defense that are new. And let me make a point that I wanted to make yesterday. That's eighteen and of the twenty two on offense and defense. I, the same starters. I forgot to make. How much better it's are they expected to, what to you're make? Saying. How much better will they really be? Who had more sacks last year, Draymond Jones or Zach Allen? Draymond Jones. Did you realize, because I didn't until I came across, that Deshaun Williams, who had 15 starts last year, Mm -hmm. 17 games, same number of starts Russell Wilson had, right? Four and a half sacks. He's an interior defensive lineman. Four and a half sacks in 15 games as a starter. He's gone. On a team that couldn't rush the passer, they took two of their best, if not the two best pass rushers, and got rid of both of them. Not, I mean, both left is free. But you get the idea. They didn't. They, didn't, they, they, they got them. For they lost them. They, they got nothing back they got unless nothing you back. consider, well, they basically, in effect, traded Draymond Jones for Zach Allen. But Draymond Jones had more sacks. How many did Draymond have last year? 
Yeah, Dr- I'm Dr- Draymond Jones. Uh, yeah. In total sacks, I'm talking ahead. I mean, it wasn't a, wasn't a ton. I want to say it was like six I thought it was six and a half, seven. Yeah, some, somewhere in that area. I'll All find right. Out exactly. Well, yeah. you combine that with Williams having four and a half, and you know, roughly a dozen sacks between them, right? Like six, six and, and a half. half. Okay. okay. Hey, right the first go time. brain. Uh, eleven. Thank you. Thank you for that. Nigel doing a hell of a job. We today, by the way. We're the, I think we're the only three people in the no building. Less. We are. Yeah. Nigel. Every, everybody's down. following Eric Goodman up to uh, do some fly fishing. Apparently, not a bad plan. The whole whole staff. Now they let us on. Um, that's not what he's doing. Yeah. That is uh, is stunning to me. The team, that, the second half of the season, that yes included Draymond Jones and Deshaun Williams, was second to last in the league in pressure rate. On quarterbacks. And they lost two guys. Remember, the team that really didn't rush the passer very well last year, especially the second half of the year, who had 11 sacks between them. They're gone. Replaced in part by a guy who had four sacks, Zach Allen, Mm -hmm. four. Frank Clark, who had, I believe, five sacks. So on a team that uh, couldn't four, rush the pass. Four and a half for Clark last year, actually. So, or five and a half. Five and a half for Allen. Four and a half for Clark. Five and a half for Allen. And how many? Four and a half. Four and a half. So that's ten. So actually, if you consider Williams leaving and Jones leaving, being balanced off by the additions of Clark and Zach Allen, at least in the sack department, they lost ground over last year. Now, maybe this year, Allen and Clark will have 15 to 20 sacks between them, and Jones and Williams will have 10. Maybe. Maybe. But based on last year's sack numbers, the Bronco pass rush at the very least is still very much in question, especially when you know that Baron Browning will start the year on physically unable to perform. So you have, and I don't think this is a wayward idea necessarily, but you have the notion out there that another outside linebacker from Ohio state named Jonathan Cooper, right? Might be as good a pass rusher uh, as anybody they have. And I think the best pure pass rusher on the team might be uh, Gregory. It's Gregory when when he can play. But he can't play more than 12 games a year. And last year he played six. It's usually closer to six than 12. Uh, And and this is where I look at it. And I, I wonder, Sandy. When we talk about a team that seems to be overrating its own talent. Now, granted, I get it. You have a new coach who oversees the team. Uh, this is Sean Payton's team. Going forward, Sean Payton's going to start. He he gets the Bill Parcells thing. He gets to pick the ingredients and make the recipes. He gets to go shopping. Well, yeah. If not according to his official title, then he is the de facto general manager and coach of the Denver Broncos. The new ownership changes things, too, because obviously you have an, an ownership. When, you, when you've had sort of, for lack of a better term, no ownership or de facto ownership <laughs> under Joe Ellis, new ownership would probably have want to, want to put their thumb on the scales 
So is there reason to believe this will get better? But, you know, like I just went over it. At this time last year, the Broncos returned 18 of their 22 starters on offensive defense from what we projected as training camp started last year. 18. That's the same roster that went 5-12. and 12. Yes. Yes. So, so where does this massive improvement truly come from? If Troy Aikman was right, maybe they don't have We've overrated good enough as this. We've overrated them. And we've overrated their players. And if 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 Troy Aikman's area of expertise is on offense, you know they have been. But prior to that comment, they had been plenty hard on Wilson. And his point was. Having said all we said about Wilson, it isn't just Wilson. I'm thinking as a former quarterback, although he didn't specify it, he's talking about the receivers too. He was, he was more he more, more than the offensive line. He about the, he's saying the receiver, maybe they aren't as good as we've been led to believe they are. Be good, which at least they've, they've improved the line. Talked about the wide receivers not being able to get separation. Right. Which is true. Which is true. Jerry Judy in the last six games was the only Bronco receiver who consistently got separation last year. The only one. And it is argued by some, I, I'm not quite convinced of this, that one of the advantages Greg Dulcich had when he came back from injury was that K.J. Hamler was still on the field and opened up the middle of the field for Greg Dulcich. I think that's With a, a his deep well. pass running and other teams were not as concerned about a, a rookie tight end that they really right. hadn't seen at that point as well. Well, there's I'm not a, sure I'd buy that completely, but I think it's a small I, factor. I, maybe a bit yeah, of a factor, a factor that Dulcich, listen, I, I think Dulcich is terrific, but he also operates between the numbers, and that isn't exactly also Wilson's preference or hasn't been as an area of operations. Wilson much prefers uh, to throw outside the He's actually one of the uh, the quarterbacks that uses it the least amount. Well, the, the Broncos, of course, will be back in action soon enough. And uh, at least going this weekend, by the way, still a lot of going on. Of course, baseball is in full swing. The Open is happening. Uh, we know about the soccer tournaments that are going on starting tonight, at least uh, for the United States. And over at Superbook Sports, we're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer. At Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling, with a direct line to Las Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code Mile High, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus. And that means win or lose, Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code Mile High. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter that promo code Mile High, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Pac-12 Media Day is going on as we speak. CU might have one foot out the door based on what they're hearing today or not hearing. I'll explain next on My Life Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Friday vibe there from the uh, the Barbie movie. One of the two big ones opening, the Barbie and Oppenheimer. Yeah. Um, I want to I I channel my Pac-12 Commissioner George uh, 
clear with coffee. Um, I'm not announcing today that I'm dating Dua Lipa because yeah. I don't want to take attention away from her movie debut. Make okay. sense, everybody? Make sense? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm not, I'm not announcing that uh, today. <laughs> if your follow-up question is um, whether I'm actually dating her or not, I, uh, I, I don't have an answer for you. Right. So basically take that and um, pretend I'm George Klimakov talking about the Pac-12 because here's what he said today at Media Day in Las Vegas regarding the contract that, by the way, has already been being negotiated supposedly around a year now and which we talked about yesterday. Uh, CU's made it very clear in an interview with the uh, Denver Post, Phil Stefano talked about how they were waiting to get... Uh, right. He won, made it very made it very clear the Pac-12's deal better come in a third out of the Power Five conferences. Right now, that is the Big 12's spot and expects to, to hear that and then make a decision as a university. Klevikov today, quote, we're not announcing our media rights deal on purpose today because we want the focus to be on football. Baloney. The first question, follow-up, asking if he can confirm a deal was done or not. He refused to answer. In other words, no. No. You well, well, what, no. what uh, take it back. It's one of two things. Either, either no. no, the deal is not done, or yes, the deal is done and nobody's gonna like it. Oh, I don't think any deal is done. Whether I don't people think would he, like it or not, done or not. I don't think he has anything. I agree. He has nothing. That's like Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA tour, saying our deal with L I V is done. Right. When it is a proposal that seems more and more sketchy as time goes on, right? Mm-hmm. It, as you really look at it, and as the Senate holds hearings, right? It was the Senate, right, that held hearings? I believe that's the case. I think. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, because Blumenthal was the was the chairman, Democratic majority in the Senate. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if the answer were yes... He would have announced it. Even if it was shaky, he'd announce that there was a deal. It, there, there is no deal. And they aren't apparently very close to a deal. And yes, uh, as you pointed out, see, you can't wait forever on this. Nope. Because there are plenty of schools interested in moving to the pack. Uh, I'm sorry, to the Big 12. Mm -hmm. We've already seen that. Because certainly as it pertains to basketball, and I'm much more interested in Big 12 basketball than I am in Big 12 football at the present time. CU, CSU, obviously, neither of them in the Big 12. And the team I care about in the Big 12 is Kansas, and specifically Kansas basketball, more so than football. Although the Leopold Dion comparison is perhaps worth making, it isn't exactly a one to one comparison, but maybe we'll get into that later on. In any case, the thing I like about the Big 12 that really had 10 teams until recently was they could play a true round robin. Right? Yeah. 18 regular season in conference games. And you would play the other nine schools twice, home and home. They can't do that anymore, which I think is too bad for basketball. But indicative of of the fact that there are schools out there, legitimate schools, 
were looking to join the Big 12. Uh, and they're and focusing on what will they call the Colorado four could get crowded Colorado, out. Utah, New yeah. Mexico, yeah. Arizona, Arizona Colorado State. could get crowded uh, out. Colorado is, is by fairly quick. all reports, the furthest down the road and the, the best fit. Right. And, and also right. reports, uh, right. various reports. And, uh, you know, I've kind of kicked the tires a little bit here and there and, and, and asked. And there seems to be some uh, belief that Coach Deion Sanders would be... Um, Happy with the move to the Big 12? More than amenable. Yep. The, move. Uh, the funny thing is, I think right now, Deion Sanders and CU Buffaloes with UC and UCLA bailing out are the best thing that's happening to the Pac-12. And I think that George Klevikov understands that if I don't come up with a number real quick, they're going to walk. Oh, CU has leverage now. CU has all the leverage. CU is just a bad football program last year. And, and, and they're now still, they're, they're, they're a program forward. that's down, but they're but moving they get, forward, they and they have Deion. They were on their their black and gold game. Their spring game was on ESPN, not Georgia's. Georgia's happened preseason at the spring. same time. They overlapped and they put right. Georgia to ESPN too. You oh, gotta be kidding me. They're the back back champs. Deion Sanders is a better story. See you as now, no George, in the Georgia world. may very well make it three in a row this year. They very well. In may. fact, most of the odds makers. From what I've seen, favor Georgia to do it again, and they still put CU on ahead of them. And CU is a team that's generally regarded as being definitely in the second division overall of the Pac-12. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right, not absolutely. the first division. No, no, no. I, I, I think I mean, they're going to finish right better now, than the eleventh that the, the the poll has. Right but. now, if you go by the projections, and I believe at the end of last year, Utah and Washington were top ten teams. USC, Oregon, and Oregon State were in the next 10, between 11 and 20. And then you had UCLA at 21. So the idea that I think is out there, and, you know, I hadn't remembered it quite that way, because the idea out there is that the Pac-12 is in total disarray. Therefore, the basketball and football programs are largely in disarray, and that is not true even with football. This year, in at least one preseason projected top 20, USC 4th, Washington 12th, Utah 14th, Oregon 15th, and Oregon State 17th. That's five schools out of 12 in the top 17 in the country. If you're CU, does it matter? I mean, honestly, I I guess I look at it. Are they in a, are they in a stronger place in either of those two conferences that, that it should offset the money they get? Or do you just say the heck with it? Go to the, this is the way it is right now. Go to the conference that pays you more. Are they better Great off in either question. one? Right, right Great now. Question. I, I honestly right don't now, know. I don't know. There is a part I, of me I don't that know. Thinks- I suspect. I suspect that at least for this year, with respect to football, the Pac-12 might be stronger because mm-hmm. almost half the teams are in the top seventeen, uh, and, and you're going to see well quarterbacks top picked in the top ten, right? Uh, and you, you've right. got USC with a Heisman Trophy winner. You've got Oregon with Bo Nix, who had 29 touchdown passes last year. 
Oregon Utah, State was in the mix right up until the end. Uh, Oregon State, that's got the Clemson transfer. Uh, Marcus Penix is, is uh, in, and, in Washington. And Penix is in Washington. Uh, and he only had 4,641 <laughs> yards passing last year. And none of these guys won the Heisman. Caleb Williams won the Heisman from USC. But they've got five exceptional quarterbacks. Now, could Sanders be better this year than one of them? One of them? Yeah, maybe, sure. maybe. 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 Not all of them. Is he that. among the top six, seven quarterbacks in the conference? Yes, but he probably isn't among the top two or three. So I think the quarterbacks in the Pac-12 – are about as good as the quarterbacks anywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at Alabama, for example, in the SEC. Now, this is the youngest Alabama team, from what I've heard, that Saban has ever had at Alabama. Now, it doesn't mean that Alabama isn't a top-five team, but three straight years out of the college football playoffs, if Alabama does not qualify this year. That's unheard of in the Saban era. That's Alabama. And you know where they're youngest and maybe most vulnerable? Quarterback. Right. Quarterback. Pac-12 has a lot of good quarterbacks. Now, the, the saying has been for years, well, yeah, it's easy for quarterbacks to excel in the Pac-12. Nobody plays any defense in the Pac-12. And there's some truth in that, of course. But I'll tell you what, competitively, I'm not, sure that the Pac-12 is weaker than the Big 12. And, you know, as Colorado rises and improves that they go to the Pac, uh, move from the Pac-12, uh, that, you know, they'll, they'll struggle in the Big 12. I, I, I thought, what was it, how many years has been, 11 years in the Pac-12 for CU, I think. Roughly, I think it's 11. Yeah. I think that's, that's right. You realize CU has had more than three, three or more Pac-12 wins four times, and I think 12 years in Pac-12. I think it's 12. I was misspoke. I think it's 12. You're right. You're right. You're right. Four times yep. in 12 years, Colorado has had three or more wins in the Pac-12. Supposedly, you know, the conference that's way out west that plays late at night and nobody watches and they don't play any defense and every game is 45 to 40 and so on. I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a great question. My guess is that CU will end up in the Big 12. Mine is, too. I, I think as soon as I saw that quote today, like, that's that's it. That's it. And, and I think, uh, especially when Stefano said publicly, in the post. I'm looking forward to hearing what Klevikov said, and he said he was looking forward to hearing what he would say on Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. So we privately waited to hear what he said, and then publicly, uh, yeah. To my mind, that is, that is that uh, that feels like the die is cast. And it, it's an interesting discussion. I want to know what you think. 303-831-1340. Um, and yeah, I think Big 12 would be better for them. There's an argument to be made that a weaker... Pac-12, because I think the geographic location of the Pac-12 means that it's it's going to be, if, if not the least of the Power Five, post-UCLA, uh, USC's bailing yeah. out. Um, 
it will still remain a big conference because, of simply sure. put, it's it's time zone. Although, did and you hear that San Diego right? State said no? San Diego State said no. Undertaker will remain to the in, in the, the Mountain West, West which also didn't uh, that surprise Colorado you? Colorado State's one of the teams that's been curious, but it, it, they think about very seriously why San Diego State said why. Well, it may be that you know. It, my guess is San Diego State is tuned into the business of football as well as any other university and understands that the Pac-12 is, doesn't have a lot of negotiating power right now. They understand that Colorado and maybe Oregon and maybe Washington are waiting are to, to waiting pull the to shoot, leave. too. Yeah. And they thought, hey, you know what? We're, we're, we're okay where we're at. We don't want to jump ship and then find ourselves having that ship hit an iceberg, which may be what the Pac-12 is doing. So uh, I'm inclined to agree with you. I think Colorado would be better moving. I think they should get while the getting is good. If we're going to, you know, be as... Uh, as straightforward as we could. That's what I would do if I were the University of Colorado. But what would you do? 303-831-1340. Looking forward to an interesting weekend, including the start of the Women's World Cup. The U.S., the favorites, but not as heavy as they used to be, but they are in good shape for tonight's opening match. We'll talk a little bit about that as well next on Miley Sports. My universe will never be the same. I'm glad you came. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Drotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. You can't suspend me, spell the Women's World Cup going in Australia and New Zealand in Auckland. The U.S. women will make their debut tonight, 7 p.m. local start. So uh, despite the vast difference in time, a good opportunity for U.S. audience to uh, view them. That will be the start of their second game in the round robin as well. The third game will be at, uh, at 1 a.m. So that's only for the maniac night owls like me. I'll end up staying up and watching that. But they will be ready to go tonight. The U.S. take on Vietnam. Uh, Coach Vladko Adonofsky pointed <laughs> out that uh, everybody is uh, good to go. Uh, Megan Rapino, who has made it very clear she'll retire after this tournament. Rose Lavelle, they'll be on restricted minutes, and if they play today, they'll, they'll be coming off the, the bench. But uh, Julie Ertz has no limitations. Those were the three players that we're concerned about. Everybody else is good to go. Uh, the U.S. is the favorite as well. They should be. They're looking to win their third consecutive. No one uh, has ever done that. But... Um, Things are closer than they look as this sport continues. And as a lot of these World Cup type sports or Olympic sports uh, occur, every time the gap closes. And uh, over at Superbook Sports, look at that with our, our friend Superbook at the, the Futures. The U.S. is the favorite to win the whole thing. Now, let me suffice to say, um, tonight's game, maybe not one um, worth investing in. Um, Probably could miss it. Minus yeah. 50,000 to win tonight's game for the U.S. The two-time champs taking on Vietnam will Minus be 50,000. 50, uh, Vietnam is the bottom, the 32nd of 32 well, teams, and this is their first ever World Cup game. Yes, I, so, I, uh, I thought I... I'd probably leave that uh, one alone. Looking back, I have not followed women's soccer all that but closely heard through the years, yet. but I've never heard of Vietnam first, being first, in the uh, World Cup. First time they qualify. Probably yeah. not tonight, but it is interesting because they're used to some dominance with the U.S. in, in the Women's World Cup. Yeah. The U.S. are plus 200 to win the whole thing. That's a pretty dominant favorite. But, oh, yeah. yeah. But Spain is plus 350, not that far off. England, no. plus 500. Germany, plus 700. And the host country, or one of the host countries, 
Australia plus 900, who they have the best player in the world, and Christy Kerr, who plays for uh, Chelsea in the Premier League in England. Uh, she is missing, going to miss the first two games. But that doesn't seem to really worry very much about Australia. But ESPN this morning went over the five top women in the, the U.S., or pardon me, in the World Cup as a whole. Uh, Kerr came out on top, of course. Alex Morgan of the United States was in there, as expected. Two of the top four, however, were Spanish. As this, and we know that Spain, of course, you know, if you want to look at a favorite, a lot of the time you can take a look at Spain in the men's tournament. Very oh, dangerous. Sure. England, Germany, Always. the traditional powers, yeah. the traditional powers. Right. It's the U.S. Mm-hmm. that stands out because yeah. the U.S. is not a traditional uh, soccer power mm-hmm. in the in the men's World Cup, but in, in the, the men's, men's World Cup. They most certainly are. Uh, Megan Rapinoe will retire after this tournament to exactly. credit. Very wise getting ahead of that. Yeah. Before the tournament started. Oh, saying, yeah. So she's not getting asked this questions. Is it. In fact, it. I, I should actually, let me let me uh, refine that. She's retiring after this year. Not necessarily the World Cup tournament. She plays in the, the NWSL right. after this season. But right. then the questions go away. Yes, sure. this will be her last World Cup. Sure. You can stop asking about that. And I know great. she rubs some people the wrong way, but I like her. There are a few people. She's that different. Have, that have brought more attention to the exactly. women's game and done it not only with the personality, but with extraordinary. She's ability. not for everybody, but they're one hell of a soccer player. <laughs> a lot of people aren't <laughs> for everybody. Yeah. A lot of people aren't for everybody. That's fine. That's, that's just fine. The two of us. I, I, I like the two. And the, keep in mind, you want to get ahead of things. Um, two of the, the most significant women's player, and it's only, um, Two in this case, Mallory Pugh uh, of Off mm-hmm. Islands Ranch, who's married to Dansby yeah. Swanson, but recently pregnant. So she's right. not in this World Cup. Uh, but Lindsey Horan, the midfielder, yeah. is from Golden. And right. Sophia Smith, born in Windsor, Colorado, and growing up in Colorado, uh, is about, that's that's my prediction. Sophia Smith is going to walk out. We, we watched before there was Alex Morgan. You had Mia Hamm, right? Among American uh, sort of star scores. Sophia Smith is gonna is about to be the next one to go from Morgan forward. Right, uh, Smith is going to be the star of this tournament, along with Trinity Rodman, uh, Dennis Rodman's daughter. Uh, <laughs> those are the two, uh, the two that tend to play on the outside on that, that front line for the U.S. Uh, Rodman is a tremendous talent, but Smith has all the tools, and uh, she's 22 years old. Um, talk about someone who might be for everybody. It might end up being Sophia Smith. So. Keep an eye out. They play tonight at uh, at seven. I'm intrigued. I, I always love the World Cup, and uh, it is nice to watch a World Cup that the United States is um, really it's good favored at. to really good yeah. at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so you get to catch those first two, as we pointed out in uh, in in prime time for the U.S. And then before the knockout round ends, uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, more about that as well. U.S. expected to more or less uh, clean house in their group because, uh, as we talked about, while there are now five countries that can be legitimate contenders for the top, it is still a top-heavy tournament at at the moment. Over at the British Open, they've had two days of excellent weather. I I still call the British Open. I understand the Open Championship. And, you know, I I, I understand also. Giving you a hard time. Next to the PGA, the strongest field, stronger field than the U.S. Open and gets, the, and it's the and first obviously one. stronger than Masters. Masters an Invitational, right? With some guys in the field who you know can't win, right? Now I, I suppose in any major golf tournament, there are guys you can X out pretty much before the tournament begins. But here's what's funny about the Open Championship: mm-hmm. more often than not. 
if you want a close tournament, you're rooting for bad weather. Can yeah, you give me an any other sport with any of its major events in which you're rooting for bad weather? NFL games. I, I mean, maybe NFL I games. Love I love football in, games in the snow. I love it. But I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I think in the regular season, I'd agree with you. I'm not sure in the playoffs that fans are entirely comfortable with weather being a determining oh. factor in the outcome of the game. I, I, I'm just, I'm just I'm saying. I'm just saying. I don't know that fans, when it comes down to it, how they really feel as opposed to how they think they're supposed to feel. Mm. They they won't give weather the deciding. Give me that Bengals Chargers uh, but, wild card game. Yeah, uh, I'll but take that it. was a terrible game though. I know. I, I mean, I, it was one sided. And I love it. Uh, I love football know, and weather. I, I, okay, I get uh, it. I'm the mind. I'm in the minority, but I love it. I I I wouldn't. Uh, now you're talking about the the one played with minus sixty. Yeah, I mean that's like, obviously. I mean that unusual. was that was ridiculous. It, 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 you know, and I'm not saying they, they, they should have canceled the game. I understand it's a playoff game. You can't cancel it. Same thing with the Ice Bowl, uh, which happened to be a very dramatic game. Right. Green Bay and Dallas in 67. I think, though, especially over there, fans don't mind bad weather. Fans here don't want to watch golf in bad weather. Well, well not, when it's, it's cold and it's rainy, not fun and to be in the gallery and no, weather. but no. they like it over there. That 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 crowds well, won't be diminished. In fact, they like it better if there's bad weather because it makes it more interesting. It the scores go up. It makes it more competitive. And Brian Harmon is a good player. He's got a five-stroke lead. And if the weather this weekend was going to be anything like the weather the first two days, I'd say he's not a lock, but five strokes is a big lead. If it's bad weather, five strokes might as well be one or at most two strokes because he's going to come back. He's minus 10. Tommy Fleetwood, the local boy, Mm -hmm. is second at minus five. And Wyndham Clark. Tommy Fleetwood has played that course in good weather and bad weather, a lot more than Brian Harmon has played it. And they haven't had bad weather the first two days. So I can imagine a whole like the 17th, that par three, mm-hmm. in which uh, some pretty good players had very high scores today. And yeah, there was wind, but it was a nice day. Can you imagine wind and rain playing that? little par three, and then the 18th, which is a monster par five and one of the hardest holes, if not the hardest hole in the course. I'm just saying I'm rooting as a spectator. I'm rooting for terrible weather this weekend, so it'll be tight and it'll be dramatic, and somebody's going to win in the middle of a storm. And and this is what's fascinating about it, too. The top 24 players right now, which is everyone one under and below, 13 different countries represented. 13. I mean, it is a, a, a very... Very a, eclectic. Di- yeah, yeah. It is, it's, it's very diverse, international. But, but yeah. you know, I guess I like the weather, and I, I think some of the, the folks in on the other side of the pond, as they say, like the weather for the same reason I feel like I like it in football. 
You play it where it lies. In football, too. And it's the you same for everybody. If, 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 it's it's yeah, the same everybody everybody fights the weather. I've never felt that. That's and not an I, excuse. Everybody I, fights I, it. I actually, with, it's with, with okay. golf, I mean, suck it up. Except for lightning, obviously. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's dangerous. That's dangerous. And you don't want spectators or players out there. But if if it's just cold and rainy, I, I I've never understood the uh, aversion to playing. And uh, over here, I've even noticed they'll they'll play short of thunder and lightning. They'll they'll play in the rain. Even over here, you just uh, but at the British Open, you expect severe weather. That on Lynx courses, I mean, you don't you don't want to go into bunkers. No, but if you have to contend with the weather on top of being in the bunkers in bad weather, those deep bunkers in bad weather, I I think that's what fans sort of want to see. Tommy Fleetwood is is five under. Brian Harmon is is ten under. under. That's that's double as well as anybody's played. But you don't think he's got it in the bag? I guarantee you, the winning score will not be ten under. Almost certainly, right? Keep in mind, by the way, reigning U.S. Open champion and the local athlete, Wyndham Clark. He's doing okay. In that hunt as well, uh, in that mix tied for 11 with a, yeah. with a bunch of names. Minus Rory one. Minus Rory's one. tied for 11th, and uh, Rory has a shot. The way you look at it, and Wyndham Clark and Rory McIlroy, I'm sure, look at it this way. We're only four strokes out of second. Right. And the other guy will come back. The other guy will not shoot 10 under par for four rounds. He, he it's, it's hard to think. He not, considering the weather, yeah, he will come back. He will come back goal. several strokes at, at, you know, strokes at least. Several could be three on up, but it. I'd say he come back. Winning score, I think, will be minus five. Oh, okay. I think that will be a winning score. And the way these guys look, at it, they said, okay, we can shoot two sixty nines on a weekend. And we'll be at minus. You'll five. be in the hunt. It'll be interesting Clark to see how that and shakes out. McElroy. Yeah, and and uh, we, you know we'll find out. There's a lot to discuss uh, there that I think is interesting as to, as well as uh, Colorado represented in the golf, Colorado represented in the soccer. Yeah, and of course this is yep. the last Friday, as I pointed out, for all of 2023 that the Denver Broncos won't be involved in the field in some capacity. It's kind of a. Uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. I did again for the last couple of years, kind of like, I'm not quite sure what to expect. And, and that part is fascinating. And, and the, the, the range of outcomes is vast. <laughs> As it turns out, that makes it really intriguing. So. Oh, and by the way, the Rockies are still on a 100 or, or they're back on back at it. A 100 loss pace. All right. Well, that, that's, that's, uh, that's our final note at 37 and 59 with their most recent loss. Uh, they are back on the 100 loss train. Start trading people. Get something towards the future, unless you really think there's a big difference between winning. I know you put the over games. under at two. Two trades. We'll see. We'll find we'll out. We'll see. Got about a week and a I'm half. Not sure. I'm breaking it down with you. I think I might take the under. Oh, I'd always take the under with the Rockies. Always, 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 always. They love their guys. They don't care what the record is. As long as they, the, Sandy, the, this is what I'll say about this with the Rockies. They got out of the business of selling baseball a while ago. They sell Colorado <laughs> summer. That's what they sell. That's all it is. That's all it is. Yeah. I'll leave uh, you with that because as you, you right. can look outside right now, it's a pretty good thing to sell for sure. So you enjoy hey, it. Hey, we're in the 70s today. Yeah, thanks to uh, Eric Goodman for trying to join us. Hope he goes up there and catches uh, catches all the fish on his uh, weekend off. We'll get back with him next week. Thanks to Nigel Kengethe in the booth making everything look and sound good. Uh, helping out here while Danny's uh, out on uh, vacation as well. 
before things uh, get really moving for the Broncos. Next week, the proverbial rubber hits the road, and we will be back as well. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Have a safe and fun weekend. We'll be back on Monday, but you keep it tuned right here to My Life Sports. And whatever happened, the Tuesday and so slow. Gone down the old man with a transistor. We're changing the game.